Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back in the seat with you. Be sure and stay with us because coming up later in the show, big question, obviously, for a lot of people right now is can President Trump make Minnesota red again? we got a very special guest to talk about that. Plus, Jill Biden was in Minneapolis earlier today for her back to school tour, as we know that Minnesota is becoming very much a battleground state. We're going to start tonight with some of the big breaking news throughout the day. Bob Woodward, The Washington Post, uh, releasing some news about some comments that President Trump had made back in uh, early February, also mid-March, suggesting that President Trump intentionally downplayed the impact of the coronavirus uh, because he didn't want to create any panic. So I've got some clips I'm going to play for you tonight regarding that, just to give you some context, but also uh, some dates as well are very, very important. So it's February 7th, uh, President Trump spoke with Bob Woodward and said, hey, look, this, this, is, this is some deadly stuff, okay? What the coronavirus is is some deadly stuff. Then it was back in the middle of March, excuse me, then in the middle of March, President Trump suggested to Mr. Woodward, look, I've I've intentionally sort of downplayed this because I don't want to create panic across the country. We know where the markets were at back then before this thing really hit and really had an impact on the markets. And President Trump, whether you agree with it or not, uses the markets as sort of a marker for his success as a president. So I think that's part of the reason he didn't want to create such a panic with the market. So we'd love to know your thoughts. And, hey, do you think President Trump did the right thing, trying not to create so much panic? Or should he have, you know, sort of done a five fire alarm. Now, with all that being said, I want to bring up those dates about early February and mid-March because it was back on January 21st. You had Dr. Anthony Fauci. We know him as obviously one of the lead for the White House Coronavirus Task Force, but he was on Newsmax. Newsmax, and I want, to let, I want to have you listen to what this person asked him and then listen closely to what Dr. Fauci said about the coronavirus for the people of the United States of America. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. So you heard him there. Look, hey, we need to take it seriously. But at the same point in time, he just said that this is not a real big deal for the people of the United States of America. And that was back on January 21st well before President Trump had his conversations with Bob Woodward. So I just want to share that with you to create some context. Love to know your thoughts on what you heard there from Dr. Fauci, considering uh, what's been taking place as of late. And then earlier today, President Trump had a press conference. He was uh, releasing names of potential Supreme Court nominees for a potential second term for him. But they, obviously he was asked about uh, the Bob Woodward conversation, him potentially downplaying the impact of the coronavirus. So I want to play this clip for you. Uh, and, and let you hear President Trump's response. Well, I think if you said in order to reduce panic, perhaps that's so. The fact is, I'm a cheerleader for this country. I love our country. And I don't want people to be frightened. I don't want to create panic, as you say. And uh, certainly I'm not going to uh, drive uh, this country or the world into a frenzy. We want to show confidence. We want to show strength. We want to show strength as a nation. And that's what I've done. And we've done very well. We've done well from any standard. You look at- So do you agree 
with that approach or not? Do you think President Trump did the right thing, uh, trying to downplay it, not create panic? Or should he have done more to alert the American people about the impact of COVID-19? Please share your point of view with us. Also, last night in North Carolina, President Trump, as he's dubbing them now, because then apparently it kind of makes it okay, but he said he had a peaceful protest in North Carolina last night. But he said something that really caught my ear, something that you and I have talked about quite a bit on the show. When you think about our, our young kids, whether they be high school, uh, junior high, college, but the indoctrination system that some young people are being subjected to, maybe not so much in our area, but definitely across the country. And so President Trump has said, look, no more indoctrination. We want education, not indoctrination. So last night in North Carolina, President Trump said this. We will restore patriotic education to our schools. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Look at you. This is a very sophisticated group, Tom. You know what I'm talking about, patriotic education. Well, the first thing they do is they want to take your history away. I don't love the USA chance, but think about that for a moment. You know, patriotic education. To me, it's just music to my ears. I'd love to know your thoughts on that, what that would look like to you. But obviously, I think we I believe we need more of that within our education system. Now, speaking of education, I just want to touch on something quickly before we introduce our guests from the Trump 2020 campaign. But I'm not sure if you've heard the story coming out of Northeastern University, which sort of ties in education, the COVID-19 situation. But there were 11 students at Northeastern University. And this is stunning, in my opinion. You had 11 students that were dismissed from the school, okay? They were removed from the school simply because they did not follow social distancing guidelines. They didn't make any, they didn't pass on COVID-19 anybody. They didn't do any of that. They simply did not follow the social distancing guidelines that were suggested by the school. And here's the thing. Of those 11 students, they've now been removed from that school. But to go to Northeastern University, $36,000 a year, and it's not getting reimbursed. So imagine if you're a parent, you just spent 36 grand and your kid simply didn't social distance according to those rules at the university. And now you're out 36 grand. Would love to know your thoughts on what is going on there. And do you think that's a good idea for universities to be doing that? If they find kids that don't social distance, they should be removed from the school. Or do you think that's a little bit over the top? Because it's fascinating when you go through this NPR article, some of the students at Northeastern say, hey, actually a lot of the students, a lot of the parents, they're on board. They understand it. They get it. So please share your thoughts with us. All right. Earlier today, I had a chance to sit down and visit with a Trump 2020 campaign senior advisor, Steve Cortez. We talked about President Trump getting nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And does he seriously have an opportunity to make Minnesota ready? Steve, welcome to Point of View. It's great to have you with us. I want to sort of set the stage here for a moment and then give you a chance to react. Let's go out to 2021. Uh, President Trump wins a second term, gets inaugurated, and then later that year, he wins a Nobel Peace Prize. The left will react how to that? 
Yeah, well, you know, I think the left is already reacting by <laughs> pulling their hair out at the notion that President Trump could win the Nobel Prize. But, you know, and I'm smiling because, of course, you know, th th I think that will be the reaction from the left. But in all seriousness, he absolutely deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for what he has done. By the way, Barack Obama won a Nobel Peace Prize for doing nothing other than getting elected. I mean, it literally was basically decided on Election Day that he would win the Nobel Peace Prize. But let's compare it to another set of Peace Prize recipients back in the late 1970s, and that would be President Carter. You don't often find me praising President Carter on air. I think on the whole, he was a disastrous president. However, uh, he was extremely effective at negotiating a, a an historic peace agreement between Israel and Egypt. And I believe all three of those heads of state, I think it was Menachem Begin, uh, Sadat, and Jimmy Carter shared in the Nobel Peace Prize, which they deserved. Well, what President Trump is doing now, uh, 40 years later, is equally as momentous to unite Israel uh, with a wealthy, powerful Arab Emirate, the United Arab Emirates specifically, uh, to, uh, to mend that division and to create normalized political relations, robust commercial relationships where commercial flights, for example, have already begun between the two nations. This is a triumph for President Trump. And more importantly, even than that, it's a triumph for the United States because we did it through an America first foreign policy of realism and restraint. We are no longer engaging in needless wars all over the world. We're no longer diving into nation building uh, and the practices of the previous two administrations, I'm gonna be critical on Republicans here as well, uh, that cost America so dearly in blood and treasure. Uh, but Donald Trump has proven that without massive military commitments, diplomacy, persuasion can be very effective and he has been a peacemaker in the Middle East. Yeah, it goes back to that peace through strength. You see the investments we've made in the military. I just think it's been fascinating, as you mentioned, sort of, hey, if you look at the facts here, reaching out to Kim Jong-un, that's what I like what the Norwegian leader said about his nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize is, if you just look at the facts, he deserves to win, but it's fascinating to watch people on the other side uh, react how they react. Let's talk about Minnesota, sir. Um, we've got Donald Trump Jr. in Duluth tonight, then you've got Laura Trump in the Twin Cities tomorrow. I think at the end of the day, and you know this from your uh, background, is that it boils down to math come November 3rd. The question is, does the math make sense for President Trump to make Minnesota red again in November? You know, Chris, I think it does. Look, we very narrowly lost in 2016. And in 2016, to be honest, we didn't put a heavy emphasis on the state of Minnesota. Uh, so I think even, and I worked in the campaign then as well, those of us in the campaign were frankly surprised how tight that race ended up being. Well, this time we're not taking Minnesota for granted at all or any of the battleground states for that matter, but we are pouring time and resources into the state of Minnesota. Uh, we think it is absolutely winnable. Uh, and I'll give you a couple reasons why. On the positive side, the economic renaissance that is a foot in America right now is really accelerating. And that's not just my opinion. If you look at the economic data, uh, for example, the jobs report that we got just last week revealed a blockbuster top line, 1.4 million new jobs added, but also the, in the details, uh, a terrific wage growth number of 4.7% year over year wage acceleration. This is an American comeback story that is real and it is unfolding in the present tense. People in Minnesota know that. Uh, and other battleground states, and I think they will they will choose to rehire as our country's CEO, effectively Donald Trump, the man who created the conditions for the first Trump boom, and has already uh, has already commenced the second Trump boom. That's number one. But number two, when I look at the alternative, when we when we look at Joe Biden, I think you see there somebody who would take us backwards economically to the pre-Trump era of 
stagnation for wages, and even more importantly, or as importantly, because it's related uh, to economic supplication to China. Minnesota, for example, lost, according to the Economic Policy Institute, which is a left-leaning think tank, Minnesota lost 88 thousand manufacturing jobs to China from its inclusion in the WTO in 2001, something that was championed by then Senator Joe Biden uh, and, and China's status as most favored nation as, as a supposed trading partner and ally of the United States uh, was championed by Joe Biden all the way through his vice presidency as well. So Joe Biden has a highly compromised record on China, both from a policy perspective as well as from a personal perspective because of uh, his son, Hunter's shenanigans uh, regarding securing a massive investment from the Chinese Communist Party's Bank of China. So I think the alternative uh, visions of an America that is already growing and recovering and that uh, a vision of an economic agenda that can accelerate the American Renaissance into 2021 and the, and the entirety of the second term on Donald Trump, that's one hand. And the other choice is unfortunately a regression back to globalism and submission to China. Steve, I've got two more questions for you, and I know you've got a limited amount of time, sir. So the first one is this, is that right now you're speaking to a lot of ag producers here in this area. We sell a lot of soybeans and a lot of corn. President Trump has talked about, you know, potentially decoupling from China, which is a lot of ag orders and saying, hey, we're going to bring a lot of manufacturing back, which is great for America, but it gets farmers a little bit skittish. To the farmers out there, what would you say about potentially decoupling from China? Sure. Now, listen, I understand uh, the worry of a, of a lot of farmers. And uh, regarding this issue, I would say this. President Trump is committed to trading with China. We, do, we don't believe America first does not mean America alone. We do think that we can engage commercially with China, but it has to be on terms that are fair and reciprocal. And for far too long, uh, China has been, frankly, just abusing America in trade through trading practices that are predatory and in some cases even illegal. They've been uh, abusing us with the unfortunate complicity of a lot of American, powerful Americans, whether it's corporate CEOs of multinational corporations or politicians who do their bidding, people like Joe Biden. So we do want to trade with China. We do want to sell American agriculture to China. Um, and we will remain highly competitive as an agricultural export power. Uh, but we also have to hold China to account. And, and this president has already done that successfully and will continue to do it in the second term. Steve, great stuff. I'm told we have to leave it there, but I really appreciate the time. We'd love to have you back, okay? You bet. Please have me. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Steve Cortez, uh, Trump 2020 campaign senior advisor. A lot of good stuff there. We'd love to know your point of view on that. Please share it with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. we got a very interesting guest coming up right after this. Stick around.